Today is February 28th, 2022. Happy Monday. You're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. I'm Jamer Brazil, your host. And I'm Chu Yi, the show's producer. Stay tuned until the very end because we have a very funny outtake for you and you won't regret it. Support for the Happy Market Research Podcast and the following message comes from Michigan State's Marketing Research Program and HubUX. I've done hundreds of interviews with today's top minds in market research. Many of them trace their roots to Michigan State's Marketing Research Program. Are you looking for a higher paying job to expand your professional network and to achieve your full potential in the world of market research? Today, the program has tracks for both full-time students and working professionals. They also provide career support, assisting students to win today's most sought after jobs. In fact, over 80% of Michigan State's marketing research students have accepted job offers six months prior to graduating. If you are looking to achieve your full potential, check out MSMU's program at broad.msu.edu slash marketing. WX is a research operations platform for private panel management, qualitative automation, including video audition questions and surveys. For a limited time, user seats are free. If you'd like to learn more or create your own account, visit hubux.com. This is episode 510, and according to iTunes, Cold Heart by Elton John and Dua Lipa is the number one song across the globe. Today is the last day of February. We are two months into 2022, and already things are crazier than we expected them to be just 60 days ago. There are two major issues facing the world, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and the threat of an economic downturn. But this isn't a show on current events. It's a show about the world of consumer insights. What I'd like to draw your attention to is that the world of consumer insights tends to operate at a micro level. What I mean by that is businesses have questions that are kind of like this. Is my software easy to use? Do consumers like my product or the way that it tastes? What other products should we develop? And are my customers happy? So on and so forth. The answers to these research questions rarely are placed in the context of the broader world. Now, let me be clear. Much of consumer behavior is, in fact, habit. From the beer that we drink to the fast food that we consume, our choices are influenced by external factors. When making decisions, our subconscious is asking questions like, will learning this software improve my hireability? Do my friends like eating at this fast food restaurant? Is the store located on my way home from school? Are my peers investing in NFTs? Will my date be impressed if I take them to this exclusive bougie restaurant? Does this watch make me look successful? 
will this diet program help me look like the hot as F spokesperson that's representing them? These questions offer answers that start to uncover the true why behind consumer preferences. All of us are consumers. I'm a consumer, you're a consumer. We buy stuff. We are fed information constantly. Wherever we spend our time, there are voices and faces that seek to influence our decisions. And while we like to think that we're making rational decisions, we in fact rarely do. So for your research, try and pull back a little bit. Look at what is under the surface of the purchase decision. Try and tap in the consumer's subconscious. How do we do this? Because it's a little bit tricky. Well, I liked starting in a qualitative framework during one-on-one -on -one interviews. The method I use is usually called five whys or causal chain. Here is a three-minute excerpt from the Lean Enterprise Institute that describes this approach to problem solving. So let's take a look at the problem solving method known as the five whys or also causal chains. And let's take a look first of all at how that relates to the problem solving funnel as a, as a, as a frame where we begin with a high level problem. It might be something that's vague, it's something that we don't fully understand, but it's the problem coming at us on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. What we want to do is break the problem down to understand it, get some data, get some facts, look for patterns. And from there, that means understanding the work. This is a, certainly a characteristic of lean problem solving, which is to deeply go and observe and understand the work. From there, we can identify a point of occurrence, also sometimes called the direct, called the direct cause. Uh, can also be thought of as a problem in its own right. Now, we can do the fun part, which is to start to ask the five whys. We can put on our investigative hats and ask why, why, why is this occurring? That will lead us to a root cause regarding which we can attach a countermeasure. So to look at this part of the problem solving process, uh, the five whys or causal chain, let's look at the uh, famous example from Taiichi Ono of Toyota and the one that he used starting in the 1950s of a machine breaking down. So the problem that he saw as the manager of the machine shop was machines would often break down and his people would often just attach a Band-Aid. They would only stop it at the, at the first level of cause, meaning that the problems would recur, they would come back. So he trained himself and his people then to always ask the five whys, sometimes three, sometimes eight, the point being to follow the causal chain all the way down to a root cause. So in the, this example, he looked at a machine that had stopped working and identified with the first why that it had blown a fuse in the control box because it was overloaded. The overload caused the fuse to blow. Then he didn't stop there, asked why again, uh, and recognized that insufficient lubrication was getting to the bearing. So the bearing, therefore, was causing the overload on the machine. Not stopping there, he went to the next cause and asking why, found that the pump was not drawing lubricant, so the lubricant then would not be sent to the bearing. Still not stopping there, okay, why, again, was the pump not drawing lubricant? Because the shaft was worn, causing it to rattle and not function properly. Now, another why there led him to a root cause, which was that there was no strainer that allowed metal chips to enter in and damage the pump. So with the damaged shaft, that would mean that the pump wasn't drawing lubricant so that there wasn't enough lubrication going to the bearing that overloaded the machine and blew a fuse and that stopped the machine from working so he's got a five y causal chain going down to the root cause and you can check that with a therefore chain going up uh, as well
So now he knows if I apply a countermeasure here, which is to make sure there's a strainer, then the problem will be solved so that it doesn't come back. So this is what can be accomplished with a fairly simple way of thinking so that we're not just putting Band-Aids on symptoms, that we're solving problems at the root cause. Good luck in your problem-solving attempts. You can apply the five whys to your interviews. For example, I recently did some research for a health and wellness brand. The objective was to uncover purchase motivators. Just after a few interviews, it was clear that there were three reasons that people were purchasing from this brand. The first was they wanted to look good. So in other words, they wanted to feel good about themselves, attractive, whatever. The second is they wanted to feel good. They wanted to avoid things like back pain. They wanted to be able to lift their suitcase up into the overhead compartment, that sort of thing. And the last one was do good. So they wanted to be competitive. For example, they wanted to be a winner at the local 5K. But I started to do the five whys. And then what I got out of it was really surprising. Here's an outcome from one of the interviews on the topic of I want to look good. Now, I can't actually give you the exact transcripts from this, so I'm going to sort of improvise through it. But this was the, in fact, outcome of that interview. Interviewer, that's me. Why do you care about looking good? Participant, I want to be attractive. Interviewer, why do you want to be attractive? Participant, I don't want my family to see my love handles. Interviewer, why don't you want your family to see your love handles? Participant, I feel like I'm supposed to set a high bar of fitness for my family. Interviewer, why do you feel like you need to set a high bar of fitness for your family? Participant, because my father did, and I feel like I'm not living up to his expectations. During this interview, the participant was blown away at their discovery about their motivations to looking good. It wasn't just about being attractive. It was about measuring up to someone else's expectations. The clarity and specificity this brought to the look good persona was very useful for the marketing department, and they used that to create empathy and understanding that they could then connect with the look good category. I know I started with, this isn't a show about global issues. However, I do want to weigh in here, and I hope that you'll allow me the latitude to do that. If we move into a period of economic distress, companies that supply services that support online shopping, work arrangements, and at-home substitutes for like traditional services, these offer significant opportunities. For example, if we hit a recession, consumers are more likely to repair their own cars rather than buy new ones. We are more likely to do home improvements and garden work versus have other people do those types of things for us. If there is ongoing COVID-19 related business closures and an increase in household financial challenges, DIY activities will increase and likely include more industries than we've ever seen before any recession. Why? Because there are a ton of how-tos today that just simply didn't exist even five years ago. In fact, last week, the 12-volt battery on my Tesla, yes, Teslas do have 12-volt batteries, just like every other automobile, it went out. A simple Google search, and I was off to my local AutoZone. I followed the directions and replaced the battery right in front of the front door of the AutoZone. According to Investortopia, consumer sectors that are poised for growth are discount retailers like the Dollar General, healthcare, food and restaurants like Kroger and McDonald's, freight and logistics, and DIY repairs like AutoZone and Tractor Supply. I don't know what 
we're headed into. But I do know that social media is offering us a front row seat. And that has its benefits and dangers. Here's an excerpt from an interview published on February 21st, 2022 with Charlie Munger, chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. He warns investors of what's ahead for the markets. But what I found that was deeply surprising was his view on what is the global purchase driver, envy. But there again, it's an interesting thing. If you take the last 100 years, 1922 to 2022, most of modernity came in in that 100 years. And in the previous 100 years, that got another big chunk of modernity. And before that, things were pretty much the same for the previous thousands of years. Life was pretty brutal and short and limited and what have you. No printing press, no air conditioning, no modern medicine, no. I don't think we're going to get things that were in what I call the real human needs. Think of what it meant to get, say, first you got the steam engine, the steamship, the railroad, and a little bit of improvement with farming and a little bit of improvement in plumbing. That's what you got the 100 years that ended in 1922. The next 100 years gave us widely distributed electricity, modern medicine, modern firefighters, the automobile, the airplane, the records, the movies, the air conditioning in the South. And think what a blessing it was. If you wanted three children, you had to have six because three died in infancy. That was our ancestors. Think of the agony of watching half your children die. It's amazing how much achievement there's been in civilization in these last 200 years and most of it in the last 100 years. Now the trouble with it is, is, is that the basic needs are pretty well filled. In the United States, the principal problem of the poor people is they're too fat. That is a very different place from what happened in the past. They were on the edge of starving. And what happens is it's really interesting is with all this enormous increase in living standards and freedom and diminishment of racial inequities and all the huge progress that has come, people are less happy about the state of affairs than they were when things were way tougher. And that has a very simple explanation. The world is not driven by greed. It's driven by envy. And the fact that everybody's five times better off than they used to be, they take it for granted. All they think about is somebody else has having more now, and it's not fair that he should have it, and they don't. That's the reason that God came down and told Moses that you couldn't envy your neighbor's wife or even his donkey. I mean, even the, the old Jews were having trouble with envy. And so it's built into the nature of things. It's weird for somebody my age because I was in the middle of the Great Depression when the hardship was unbelievable. I was safer walking around Omaha in the evening than I am in my own neighborhood in Los Angeles after all this great wealth and so forth. So, and I, I have no way of doing anything about it. I can't change the fact that a lot of people are very unhappy and feel very abused after everything's improved by about 600% because there's still somebody else who has more. Think of the pretentious expenditures of the rich. Who in the hell needs a real Rolex watch so you can get mugged for it, you know? I mean, yet everybody wants to have a pretentious expenditure and that helps drive demand in our modern capitalist society. My advice to the young people is don't go there. The hell with the pretentious expenditure. I don't think there's much happiness in it, but it, it does drive the civilization we actually have. It oh, drives God. the dissatisfaction. There are many who will use 
times of crisis to influence your perspectives and your purchase decisions. So be diligent in your pursuits. Consider challenging your own points of view. And whatever comes, I hope that you'll be safe and happy with all the things and people you have. Don't be dissatisfied with the propped up facades you see on social media. Thank you very much for listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. I'm Jamin Brazil. If you'd like to learn more about this show or our sponsors, please check out the show notes. You are always invited to attend the MRX Pro's virtual lunch. That's every Tuesday, 11 o'clock Pacific time. This is a group of UX, CX, and market research that meets in a 30-minute window. We do three things. We learn one new thing, make one new friend, and we have some fun. Happy researching and have a great week. I have disguised the voice of the participant using state-of-the-art voice nullifying identification technology. Interviewer, that's me. So why do you care about looking good? Participant, I want to be attractive. <laughs> Sorry about the voice, but that's what the participant sounds like. <laughs> okay. Why do you want to be attractive? Participant, I don't want my family to see my love handles. Interviewer, why don't you want your family to see your love handles? Participant, I feel like I'm supposed to set a bar of high fitness for my family. Interviewer, why do you feel like you need to set a high bar of fitness for your family? Participant, because my father did and I feel like I'm not living up to his expectations. <laughs>